Well, good morning and welcome to Christ Church. Special greetings to those joining us at Crossroads Highland Park, upstairs at the 01. So it turns out that one of my earliest memories is of getting in trouble for allowing a neighbor kid to draw a picture on the garage floor that had recently been repainted. Uh, His name was Jerry. Jerry was a couple years older than I was. I was probably three at the time, maybe four. Jerry was a couple years older than me. He had a brother, Danny, who was a couple years older than Jerry. They used to come over and um, beat me up whenever they were bored, which was pretty much every day. But occasionally they would be nice, and uh, they usually wanted something. And in this case, Jerry wanted this. A permanent marker that my dad had, and I knew that I was not supposed to use this marker, and it was up high on a workbench, but Jerry got, the, got it and apparently extracted from me uh, a, an affirmation that he should draw a picture on the garage floor. Really, it was sort of a mural. It was a big picture. And uh, I remember this because I got in trouble. They, they knew it wasn't me. That Fortunately, the picture was good enough that they knew I didn't draw it. But I also remember it because um, it was a picture of God, and I refused to walk on it. And uh, it covered most of the garage, and that was sort of a problem. Uh, So even at that young age of uh, three, I was already a, a little bit of an idolater. So we asked the people of Chicago, what do people worship? And we heard, well, they worship themselves, they worship money, they worship... Uh, Facebook or social media. They worship things. They worship the wrong things. Nobody said they worship pictures uh, on a garage floor, but that's, that's how I got started. And, uh, and in that, I'm not alone because we are worshipers. And as Calvin said, we create idols. Life needs to have meaning. That's part of what it means to be human. We're searching for purpose. We're searching for some meaning to our life, and if we don't get that meaning out of a relationship with God, then we are going to create meaning in other ways, and we are going to elevate things beyond their station. We are going to give some of the honor that is due to the creator to aspects of the creation. We are going to, we are going to create idols. And, uh, and that is what happens in the second commandment. So uh, we are continuing in this series. And uh, I started things off just by way of high-level flyover. I started things off by saying the Ten Commandments is not a list of, of rules designed to spoil our fun. It's not a random list that God sort of uh, superimposed as an afterthought. The Ten Commandments are a gift from God to us. They're a gift from a God who loves us. They're a gift from a God who knows everything. The commandments flow out of his character. They are hardwired into the world. And he's just saying, look, this is the way things are going to unfold. You will not ultimately break the commandments. You will break yourself against the commandments. Think of them as as headlights on a car that allows you to see where you're going. So the Ten Commandments are this wonderful gift that God, who loves you, gives to you, gives to us to know how to steer life. 
Then last week, we started with the first commandment, the principal commandment. uh, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. No other gods in my presence. I alone am God. You are to worship no other gods. And I said, here's the deal. We're not told to worship. We're not told to have a God. Everybody has a God. You have a God. We all have a God. This God shapes us. What we think about God is the most important thing about us. It, we, we rise or fall with our view of God. And, and, and so it is imperative that we worship the right God. I said, we, you may not even know what it is ultimately that you are worshiping. We tend to not be very good observers of our own behavior. So we, we don't always understand what is ultimately motivating us or what we are esteeming highest. But it is imperative that our that our image of God, our worship, our God becomes God. We need to bring that into alignment. So now we turn to the second commandment as we're continuing these conversations. We want conversations to happen in in the car, at the dinner table, conversations to happen in small groups and and, uh, in break rooms at work and in carpools, whatever. We're trying to promote conversations uh, for a better world. And so now we come to the second commandment. And this commandment is also found in Exodus chapter 20. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in the heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the second and third generations. Of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and are keeping my commandments. So my guess is that when you hear this particular commandment, you think, first of all, okay, well that's, that's good because uh, that's sort of the weird commandment and I don't have any problems there. I may break the other ones, but I don't break that one. There's no little idols in my life, we just, last night, we commissioned a group that's going to India. If some of you have been to India, you might think, I saw the little, you know, the little Hindu Ganesh uh, icon statue on the dashboard of the taxi driver, the little elephant there. I don't do that. Or you've been to Japan, and you said, I've seen the shrines with pictures of ancestors that people are meditating in front of or praying to. I don't do that. I don't, no idols in my life. In fact, if I were to give you a a clean sheet of paper and say, come up with the 10 most important rules for your life, (laughs) this wouldn't be on the list. Maybe wouldn't even make the top 25, top 100. You You may never think about it. So some of you are feeling pretty good right now. This is not my issue. Others of you are thinking, yeah, probably isn't that easy. I'm sure that I'm getting set up. Woodruff is going to do something, and I'm in trouble. And uh, so here it comes. Um, So let me just say that if you haven't made the turn yet, uh, it's worth noting that there does not appear to be a period of time in the history of the Jews where idolatry is not a problem. And many would suggest that idolatry is the single biggest topic in the Bible. 
And it is the biggest topic in the Bible because it is the biggest problem that we have. And it is a problem that we don't even recognize it's that much of a problem. And so it's a universal issue, and it's not a small deal. So we need to understand exactly uh, what it is that God is telling us and in, in understand how the, how the headlight is shining forward to steer us out of the ditches. What does it mean to not have any idols? So, uh, Exodus 20, verse 4, you shall not make for yourself an idol. So the King James says a graven image. The Hebrew word is pasel. The Greek, the Greek translation of the Hebrew is the, is, the, is the Greek word icon, which sort of gets translated phonetically into English. The NIV is sort of unique among modern translations in that it also talks about a carved image. Most other translations have moved away from talking about something like that to talk about an idol. Because of the context of the passage, they say it's not simply a little statue. It's also a mental image. It could be physical, could be mental, but, but the issue here is, is some wrong understanding of God. And so an idol is, is anything that we promote and give meaning it doesn't deserve. An idol is anything we love more than we love God. An idol is anything that we worship more than we worship God. An idol is, is something that we look to in an inappropriate way to give us meaning or identity. An idol is something that we are, we are promoting beyond its God-given rank. And, and we're looking for it to, to give meaning and purpose and direction to our life. And uh, the issue is they're everywhere. Reading on, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or of earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. So some have understood this commandment to prohibit art of all kinds. Don't make any, don't make any images of anything. Uh, most say, well, that's not it because there are commandments in the book of Exodus, and this is out of Exodus, commandments in the book of Exodus that say, decorate the tabernacle with images of animals and nature and other things. Uh, most have understood in the end that there is a prohibition against images of God the Father, of the Holy Spirit, or of heaven. So Christian artists will represent Jesus, person. I think the pictures we have of Jesus are pretty wrong. They tend to look like us, whoever us tends to be, and they tend to make him look a little bit uh, more, I think, civilized, uh, a little bit more refined, a little bit more 20th or 21st century Western than he is. But there's no problem making pictures of Jesus. But you will not generally see anybody try to make a picture of God the Father the Holy Spirit, or of heaven. Now, <clears throat> there remains a controversy, uh, and it actually led to a, the first big division in the church, which happened back in the 11th century, 1054, we call it the Great Schism. And, and this was a division between the church in the east, 
represented now by the Orthodox Church, the Greek Orthodox, the Russian Orthodox, the, so, so the Egyptian Orthodox Churches, capital O Orthodox, and the Western Church. And this, this division happened for a number of reasons. It was political, they were military, they were all, they were all kinds. Rome was a big power center in the Roman Empire uh, and, and in the West. Constantinople, now Istanbul, was the big power center in the east, and over time they had sort of grown, grown apart. And one of the precipitating uh, issues that drove a wedge religiously between the east and the west, and, and so this is happening in the 11th century. Everybody agrees, uh, following Jesus, everybody agrees on the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, everybody believes on the New Testament, the Chalcedon. There's a whole lot that, we, that, that is shared in common between the church in the East and the church in the West. But the church in the East has icons. And these are pictures. And I have a picture of an icon. So these are special kinds of pictures. You have seen them if you've gone to an Orthodox church. And they're technically not paintings. You're not supposed to call them a painting. You're supposed to call them an icon. And you don't paint them. You write them, although you paint them. There's just a whole lot of rules about icons. And those in the East see icons, these pictures done in a very specific way, as being windows into the spiritual world. And they're not to be worshipped, but they are venerated. Those in the West look on and say, sure looks like uh, an idol, uh, a graven image. Sure looks like people are worshiping these to us. And so this was one of the precipitating fights that emerged that led to the Great Schism in 1054. So, um, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the second, third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to those, a thousand generations of those who love me. So, two more things here before we sort of step back from this uh, passage. I'm guessing there are two things in that passage that you don't like. One is the idea that God is jealous, because that seems pretty petty of him. And the other is uh, this idea of punishment to the third and fourth generations of the kids whose whose fathers or whose parents are uh, heading down the wrong path. So let me just say, in terms of jealousy, um, as a rule, it's not a good idea to be jealous. And especially for us, because jealousy means we want something that we don't have. We're jealous of some other person, and that is, that is going to violate, in one sense, the Tenth Commandment. But there are things that you should be jealous of. For instance, I am jealous of my wife's affection. I'm not willing to share that with other people, right? It's right for me because we're married to say, no, your affection goes to me. God is jealous of worship because worship should go to God. <laughs> and, and actually, as I said last week, God delights in our worship, but he doesn't need it. We're not propping him up. We're not, in, we're not, he doesn't need it. He's not desperate for our worship, but he knows that we need to worship him because if we're worshiping something else, right, that makes us smaller, we suffer when, when we are worshiping something else. And so 
God is jealous of our worship. In terms of this idea that there is, and uh, in, in the NIV says, punishment to the third and fourth generation, I think a better word uh, is there are consequences to the third and fourth generation. Because the, the most important thing about you is what you think about God. Nobody ever, nobody ever is better than their view of God. No family is better than their view of God. No society is better than their view of God. What you think about God is the most important thing about you. And to the extent that we get that wrong or you get that wrong, to the extent that you're wrong there, then you suffer. And to the extent that you raise your kids with a wrong, small view of God, they suffer. There are consequences of having bad ideas about God. Okay, so that's Exodus 20, verses 4 and following. What, what do we What's going on here? Like, how does this relate? How should we think about what is God saying? How did this make this to be the second commandment? Why is it so important? Well, if you read through the Bible generally, but in particular, I was struck by just reading through the book of Exodus. It's obvious that we want to be in control, and we want a God we can control. And left to ourselves, we end up making God small, tame, and a whole lot like us. Just a little nicer. God is smarter, he's nicer, but generally, he has our political views, he shares our ideology. We make God in our image, Voltaire said, you know, God made us, God made man in his image, and ever since then, man has been trying to return the favor. And, and that's what happens if, if we violate the second commandment. So God, as a rule, is bigger than you think. And he is, he is more majestic. He is less controllable. He is not safe. He is bigger and and more amazing and more frightening than we know. And and so we have a habit, and you see it in the book of Exodus, we have a habit of trying to make God smaller than he is. So in Exodus chapter 14, there's a passage where God says to Moses, I'm going to give you the Ten Commandments. I'm going to give you the law. And so I want you to go on to the mountain and, but I want all the people to gather around the mountain so they can listen in while I meet with you. So give the people these instructions. They actually shouldn't be on the mountain or they'll die, but they can be around the mountain and they need to spend three days getting ready for this, praying, consecrating themselves, and then I'm going to meet with you. And so this happens, and then God shows up, and he shows up. There's a theophany of God in a, in a storm and and thunder and lightning and the earth shakes and the people hate it and they say to Moses when Moses gets down on the mountain okay we are never doing that again you go meet with God and tell us what he said that is that's the way this is going to work we are not meeting with God again we do not like that okay and then a little while later so God actually meets with Moses he gets the ten commandments this starts to unfold and then a little while after that Exodus 32 Moses goes up on the mountain, and, and it's not just the Ten Commandments that God gives to Moses 
right? I mean, that's what all the movies suggest. That's what, you know, he comes down with two tablets. There was, you know, the joke is that he has three tablets. He drops one, so there's not 15. Or the other joke is, uh, good news, I got him down to 10. Bad news, adultery's still on the list. You know, so there's, there's all kinds of jokes about the Ten Commandments. There's actually an extended period of time Months where Moses is going back up, meeting with God, and much of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, uh, are given to Moses at this point. So one of those times, Moses goes up and he meets with God. And he's up there for an extended period of time. And the people decide, since he hasn't come down, that he's died. And so they say to Aaron... Okay, Aaron, Moses is down, next man up. You're the theologian, make us a god. And so he says, okay, well, give me all your gold. And they give him all his gold. And, he, and then he, he molds, right, the, the, a cow. <laughs> Behold, here is your god. And I, I've shared in the past that I have struggled throughout my past to try and believe and to try and accept that God created everything and Jesus walked on water and all those things. Faith like that has not come easy to me. That's now very easy for me to believe. I have a hard time believing things like this. Like, okay, we get a cow now. We had God and now we get a golden calf and I'm supposed to say the people are excited and they throw a party. Okay, that seems a little weird, but Here's the deal. Upon further review, going back and looking at this and reading a bunch about this, I am now in the camp that says what Aaron does is not to give them a new God. This is not, the golden calf scene is not a a situation where God or where the people are breaking the first commandment. This is an instance of them breaking the second commandment. So Aaron is not giving them a new God. And, and had that been suggested, the people would have, Aaron would have reacted, the people would have reacted. Nobody wants a new God. They want God limited. They want the same God in something they can understand. They want something that they can control. They want God who is a little bit safer than God is. And, and that is what we do. <laughs> we limit God. And the second commandment, in one sense, the second commandment is simply saying, God is going to be God, right? I am who I am, not who you make me. I will be who I will be, not who you try to limit me to be. I am God, I am in charge, you are not, and I am who I am. And that's a a big theme, and it, it only makes sense. So last week I suggested that, uh, that, if, if you get married, one of the things you realize is that the person you married is not the person you thought you married, right? You had an image of this person and understanding this person, but over time you realize, oh, you're different than I understood you to be. And in a healthy marriage, you then adjust your understanding of who they are to conform to who they are. Right? That's the way it works. And if you fail to adjust to who they actually are and to love who they are, then you go see a therapist at some point because it's not working. Right? And, and, I mean, just imagine uh, a couple goes in and, and the wife says, this is my husband, 
uh, Norm, and, but I prefer to think of him um, as, a, as a 30-year-old professional surfer who uh, is fluent in French and, and uh, former Navy SEAL and, and, you know, worth $10 million, and his name is Dante. Um, but Norm is 47 and works in accounting, and so, uh, but I prefer to think of him as Dante, right? Okay, well, you could, okay, this, no, this is not going to work. You can't do that. And yet, we do that with God. That's what we do with God, right? I have an image of who I want God to be. And if you, if you think, well, Mike, I don't, I don't really think I do that. Here's how, here's how we do that. When people say, you know, I don't really like the idea of a God who allows Florence to happen and, and a $50, million, $50 billion storm to hit. I don't, I don't like the idea of a God who allows there to be a hell. I don't like, I don't choose to believe in a God who says that we can't sleep with whoever we want to sleep with. I don't, whatever you say, whatever it is, I mean, it could be a thousand different things, and and the things that we say we don't like tend to change over time in our lives, and they tend to change through the centuries. The point is, we're always trying to edit, and God is saying, no, I am who I am. I am God, you are not. And your understanding of me needs to conform to who I am. So <clears throat> this plays itself out for, this commandment is in place for at least three reasons. I've hinted at one, and that is that, that left to ourselves, we, we create a God who is safe and tame and like us. And, and so we limit God, and we begin, he's, he's not surprising. He's predictable, and if God hasn't surprised you, by the way, if God hasn't confused you, if God hasn't surprised you, then you, you've got a golden calf. You don't have God, because he is bigger than we think. Our image of God is limiting. And so the first reason we, we are told not to have idols is because we create a God who who our image of God conceals more than it reveals of who he really is. He is going to be who he is. The second reason we get this commandment is because worshiping the wrong God is limiting to us. Right? And this is just God loving us. You're, if your view of God is less than God, and it is, then you suffer because of it. I suffer because of it. We need to let God be God because we were made in his image. And not only is it nonsense for us to, 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 cre- to pretend that, that we're made in something else's image or something else is a better image than God, but any other God is, is limited. Right? So I think it's, it's not unfair to suggest that an idol ultimately functions in the same way that an addiction does. And addictions are initially attractive, and there's some, right, we get into them because there's some upside to them. But over time, addictions demand more and more, and they give less and less. And, and eventually, they're taking everything, and they're giving nothing. 
And idols are in one sense very much like an addiction. They are cruel taskmasters. They cannot, they cannot ultimately fulfill us. And so if we're not finding fulfillment in God, and we're broken so it's not perfect, so we're prone to wander, but, but if we're not finding and pursuing our fulfillment in God, then we're looking to something else that cannot do it, and so it's going to keep pulling us in deeper and deeper. So I, I've, I have perhaps beaten this horse too many times, but, but this is, in one sense, Western civilization in America, in the suburbs of Chicago, uh, in, in 2018. Right? One of the big idols here, and it was identified in the video, is money. And all the idols are good, for the most part. I mean, mo- most of us are not drawn to something that's bad. So the idols that we're looking at, it's, it's family, it's pleasure, it's security, it's, it's money. It's, these are all good things. They're not bad things. But, but when we're trying to make them ultimate things, then they fall apart on us. So I'll just try and hold a mirror up and say... My observation, and I would include myself in this, is that uh, I don't know anybody, really, I don't know anybody that's poor. We've got a team that's going to India, so I, yes, I know people in other countries who are poor. The fact is, if you make $25,000 a year, you're in the top 2% of the world's wealth. So you're, you have more money than 98% of the people on the planet, which Sounds like you're among the wealthy. If you make $50,000 a year, you're in the top 0.8% of the world's wealth. <laughs> right. So, I mean, this is, so you're, you're less than 0.1%. If you make $100,000 a year, it's like 0.03%. Right? I mean, it, the numbers get really small really quickly. And yet, I don't know anybody... I, 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 I'm sure I know some people, and there are some people here who, who are struggling and legitimately poor, but I don't know well anybody that is poor. And yet, I don't know anybody that thinks they're rich. A few. Everybody thinks they need more money. Right? Because that's the nature of an idol. Oh, you only have, we only have, and then we put in a number. We only have a house that's worth whatever. These are astronomical numbers, but, but it's an idol, and so it can't ultimately satisfy us. And, and so we have to understand, right, that, that, that an idol is never ultimately going to bring us the joy and the peace that we're after. That comes in a relationship with God. And so one of the reasons God says no to idols is because idols are, are, are a small, limiting, corrupted view of God. One of the reasons God says no to idols is because an idol is a cruel taskmaster and it pulls us down. A third reason God says no to idols is because we actually have a perfect image of God. (laughs) It's Jesus, right? The writer of Hebrews says, he opens, Hebrews chapter 1, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact 
representation of his being. And in Colossians chapter 1, we get something slightly different. In Colossians 1.15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God. The word there, image, is the same word, icon, that was used back in Exodus chapter 20, verse 4, in the Greek translation of the Hebrew. Jesus is the icon. Jesus is the image. We don't need to make an idol because we are given the perfect image of God. And so we need to look at Jesus. And I would submit to you that we make Jesus smaller than he is just as we make God the Father smaller than he is. So on an ongoing basis, I lead a, a, a Bible study for uh, men and women who are seekers, who are, who are skeptics and seekers, and for the most part, there's some others in there, but sort of a rotating group of people who come in, and we just look at the life of Christ. And I know, because I've been doing this for several years, I know that everybody is going to say, oh my goodness, I had no idea that Jesus was eternal. I had no idea that Jesus was this. I had no idea that Jesus mostly taught about himself that he was king and that, that he was judge. I had no idea. I thought he was a good person. I thought he was a good leader. I thought, I thought he, was, he was wonderfully humble. I thought he gave great ethics. I had no idea what the claims are around Jesus. And we don't. And so we need to break the second, to, to, to keep the second commandment, to break the stranglehold that is on us, that, that, that leads the second commandment to be the second commandment, we've got to focus on the Word of God incarnate, and we need to focus on the Word of God written, because this book also tells us, it gives us, it gives us metaphors and illustrations and teaching about God. And it describes God in all kinds of different ways. He's father, he's judge, he's king, he's comforter, he's the lion of Judah, he's the lamb of God. He's, he's all these things. And so we need, in order to live life that works, we have to keep coming back and saying, my understanding of God needs to continually be conforming to who God has revealed himself to be. And my default is to make him smaller, safer, tamer, more like me, <laughs> and less like he really is. And that hurts. That is demeaning to God. That is demeaning to myself. And it doesn't take advantage of the fact that we have the image of God that we need is found in Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Lord God Almighty, again, thank you for your love, for your word, for your grace. Thank you for the Ten Commandments. Thank you for this commandment. Thank you for helping us understand that life only ultimately works to the extent that we uh, step fully into your presence and we continually are allowing your revelation of yourself to correct the ways we are making you smaller, safer, tamer, other than who you are. May you be who you are, Lord God. May you be who you are in our life. Help us to break the, 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 the addictions of idols. Help us to focus on Jesus Christ, your Son, perfect image, radiance of your glory, the exact representation of your being, 
Help us to understand who you are by looking at your son. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.